homies. You ready to get spanked? Anytime you're ready. Gary Hoffman. You're a nice guy, but you're a lightweight, and I know for a fact that you pee sitting down. Shannon Farron. She's the most interesting woman in the world. Wait, I'm sorry, what is this show now? I will tell you, but only if you grab onto something to brace yourself, because you are going to hit the effing floor. <laughs> Gary and Shannon. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is going to be a fun day. Gary and Shannon. Hoffman is away. John and Ken always say that. When one of them's gone, they always say, uh, you know, John is away today or Ken is away today. It makes it sound like they've been sent to some sort of center. You know, that's what you say when somebody's in a bad place, right? They're they're away. They went away for a while. That's like what the mob guys say when one of them goes to prison. He went away. Gary is not in a prison or a center. He's in a, a cabin with a bunch of old buddies. This I show mean, sucks today. I mean, take what you will from that. But, uh, yeah, he's going to go see some old friends in uh, Texas, I believe. But we've got Wayne here with us. What a monumental lapse in judgment. I know. Who signed off on this? Good morning, Shannon. Bless their hearts. Wayne has already done six hours of radio, but he's agreed to stay with us. (laughs) That's not true. For four more. There are people who don't know who I am, I'm sure, listening right now. I'm on Bill Handel's show with Bill. Everybody knows who Wayne Resnick is. I don't think so. It doesn't matter. You're big on Twitter. But it seems presumptuous. Yeah, you're very big on Twitter. What? Your cat is big on Twitter as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have a huge show to get to. Today is the Paul Manafort sentencing day. This is the sentencing for defrauding banks and the government failing to pay taxes on millions. He has shown no remorse, which is never good, right? He's looking at 19 to 25 years. Well, that's what prosecutors want. So we'll stay on top of that. It may not happen, though, Wayne. You were saying during the course of our show. They may not get done. It's scheduled for 1230 our time to start. If they start a little late and if they really want to bend the judge's ear excessively, it could extend past uh, two o'clock our time. Joe Biden is said to be in the final stages of preparing for that 2020 run. It's expected to launch next month. We'll stay on top of that. All the latest news out of Washington coming up in Swamp Watch. At 1230, and then we have that terrible mystery of the girl that was found in the suitcase on a trail in Hacienda Heights. I'll have all the details. Andrew Mullenbeck has been covering that for us. But first, we start with the latest in the R. Kelly investigation. We had that 80-minute interview with Gail King from CBS, and there's more to it. Today, we're going to hear from his girlfriends. Yes, multiple girlfriends that live with him. We've got some of those clips we'll play for you. But now he's on the hook for maybe another case. Detectives in Detroit say they're looking into a new allegation that R. Kelly had sex with a girl when she was 13 years old and eventually gave her an STD. Mm-hmm. You want to say which one? Herpes. Herpes. She's now 30. So this happened about 17 years ago. And the thing I thought was interesting about this is the detectives in Detroit say, well, we're going to she doesn't live in the area anymore. We're going to fly her in to interview her, which suggests to me they haven't talked to her yet, which means she didn't make these allegations to the police. Right. She made them just publicly, which is neither here nor there for whether she's telling the truth. But it's like the police are like, oh, well, maybe we ought to get involved in this. She says that she and R. Kelly first had sex at a hotel in Detroit on December 30th of 2001. 
and then at R. Kelly's recording studio in Motor City a few weeks later. She says over the next four years, she visited R. Kelly at his home in Atlanta, where she gave him, or he gave her, excuse me, the uh, STD. So that could be another case there. And as you mentioned, detectives are looking to get in touch with her as soon as possible, fly her out for, for her story. And she's not, apparently this woman is not the only woman to accuse R. Kelly of giving her herpes. Uh, they found some court records in New York. A woman named Faith Rogers sued R. Kelly earlier this year saying he sexually assaulted her when she was 19 and gave her herpes. Good Lord. Well, I don't think you can selectively give or deny herpes to somebody that you're sexually assaulting. I think it's not up to you. It doesn't discriminate. Right. You know, it lands where it wants to. A big day for R. Kelly yesterday. Remember, it began with that interview where he whispered and he cried and he ranted and raved and he jumped up and everyone was like, oh, Gail, were you worried? Did you think it was going to hit you? Uh, And then it ended with him going back behind bars because of that child support bill. He owes $161,000 in back child support. And I don't think we didn't see anywhere where he is bailed out. No, I'm still I'm looking like every few minutes to see if he gets out. Remember last time when he was arrested on his current sex charges, someone else, a third party, had to bail him out. Because he apparently doesn't have the money. Well, I he, don't know why he'd have the money now. He said that he went to his Bank of America for the first time in his life or whatever and realized he had $250,000 left. Now, this is a guy that was once worth $200 million, And so he's all devastated that he only has $250,000 left. And he said that there was multiple people tied to this Bank of America account and that they've been stealing from him over the years. All right. Well, let me do my best attempt to speak for R. Kelly here. Because people want to know, why don't you have enough money to pay all your child support now, for example? Right. If you've got 250 it, in the bank, yeah, I think pay that might the be 360. Okay. But anyway, so here, okay, and, and I'm, I'll do my best. I had this money in this bank, and I asked somebody to take it out and open a new account. And that money now hasn't cleared yet. Ergo, I don't have enough money to pay my child support. I and see. he actually said... I think it was to Gail King in the interview about it. He explained it, and then he went, does that make sense? <laughs> and I don't know if that was the stereotypical when you say something to somebody, you go, does that make sense? Or if it was more like, did that, that work? Does did that, that work yeah, totally. on does you? Does that make sense? Because <laughs> if not, I can concoct a different tale. Right, right. Uh, well, the two women who live with R. Kelly, their interviews air today. This is Joycelyn Savage and Azrael Clary. And this is going to be something to watch. Here's a, a snippet of, of just them breaking down the relationship of two girls, one guy. What is your relationship, both of you, with, with, with R. Kelly? We're with him. That's yeah, our relationship. We're with him. Yeah, we that's what it him. is. And we're in a relationship with him. Right. You just said it. Uh-huh. A very strong relationship as both well. Both of you. Yes, yes. most definitely. You know, how do we say this without being inappropriate? Is this a three-way relationship, or oh, do you no. each have a separate relationship with him? How does this work? Well, both I'm of curious. those. Yeah. Both we both have our individual relationships with him, and right. we all are family all together. We have our moments where we sit and watch movies all together. We go to amusement parks all together. So it's like uh, sister, so sister wives. 
right? Well, sh- mm, she was sort of saying it's uh, it's everything and anything. Mm. Also, I don't like uh, it's her referring to it as we're a family. Yeah, that's what I mean. I guess me you're think. a family. You know, if you're married, well, sister wife, the, family, the, the, but the LDS thing with the uh, with the wife in a right. different house on the same block and the different kids in each house, and we're all a family. I think it sounds like it's whatever uh, R. Kelly wants it to be you in, think? in the moment. Yeah. You think? I'm not talking about Azrael going to movies and sitting watching, uh, going to parks. And I can't stop thinking about Azrael being the cat from the Smurfs and why you would, <laughs> why you would name your baby after the cat from the Smurfs. I'm talking about is it a, is it a three-way sexual relationship? Sexually? Well, first of all, I'm not here to talk about my personal life. Good for and you. And I would never share with no one what I do. What are you here to talk video. about then? And as a woman, I'm sure you would not either. Oh. No, I wouldn't, but I... But, okay, then. But, so, oh, yeah, wow. Question. No, you're right. I would not, but this is a very different circumstance. It's not a different circumstance. A there are people all over the world who have multiple girlfriends. It's no different. Gail was harder that are all- on the girls than she was on R. Kelly. Well, R. Kelly made it hard for her to be hard on him because she had to engage in de-escalation. Robert. Yeah. Robert. 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 All right. Coming up next, what are we doing? Right. Warner Brothers. What a mess. The script is kind of flipped in the Me Too movement here with the girl using the sex with the executive to score some roles. Well, look, to be fair, we don't know what's really going on mm-hmm. here, but we are definitely going to present all of the information that has been made public about it. Yes, we will at the court of law when we come back. Gary and Shannon, Wayne Resnick in today. Gary and Shannon, Wayne Resnick in today. President Trump's former lawyer, Michael Cohen, is suing the Trump Organization, saying that uh, they failed to pay nearly $2 million towards his legal defense. Filed today in New York State Court, it claims that the Trump Organization stopped paying Cohen's mounting legal fees after he began cooperating with federal prosecutors. Breach of contract, it alleges, and uh, seeks damages on Cohen's behalf. What do you think about that? I'd like to see that contract. Right. Does I guess it, it does said it have it, does it, it have a unless you turn on me clause? I'm thinking it doesn't. I don't why would it? He may he may have a he may have a case this yeah. guy. Also, an analysis has found an increasing number of state workers here in California are retiring with huge payouts for unused vacation, and they're all doing it at the same time, yes. which is screwing us. And you know what the the reason is? Nobody's enforcing this vacation balance cap. Like, there's a law on the books. It's just not That would prevent this from happening, and everybody's ignoring it up there. Right. We'll get into that coming up in the next hour. Well, the world of entertainment is a dark place, isn't it? You've got attractive young women, rich, successful, older men who want to have sex with said young, attractive women. And things get a little dicey. The Hollywood Reporter has come out with quite the story coming out of Warner Brothers. Hundreds of leaked text messages between Kevin, how did we say his name? Sujihara. Should we set the players here, the four main players? Set it up. Well, all right. So here are the players in this saga. You have Kevin Sujihara, and he's the CEO of Warner. Sujihara. 
Tujihara. Tujihara. Okay. Okay. And you have uh, Brett Ratner, of course, was famous director and everything until he got a little bit sidelined by Me Too accusations against him. And a guy named James Packer, who is a billionaire from Australia and is also business partners with Brett Ratner in their production company. And then an actress from Britain named Charlotte Kirk. Those Char- are your four main players. Charlotte Kirk was looking to get into more roles in Hollywood. This was back in 2013, and she was trying to get more attention. She was trying to get more auditions. She was trying to become the next big thing. And she knew Packer. She knew James Packer. And Packer sends her a text message just after midnight back in September of 2013 that says, I have the opportunity of a lifetime for you. Come to the Hotel Bel Air right now. You will never be able to pay me. He promised an introduction in this text message to, quoting here, the most important man you can meet. So she goes there and she meets Kevin Tushara. Tushahara. It's gonna, I'm going to struggle with that. Just call him that. Kevin. Kevin. She meets Kevin. Warner Brothers CEO, Kevin. And what do they do? They engage in some... Wow, that is crude. I know. They, and... they share mutual corporal, <laughs> wow. corporal, corporeal interests. They, mer- they merge their selfhoods into a... Uh, dualhood. That was beautiful. You should write romance novels. I do. So anyway, that happens. <laughs> and then she starts texting the CEO, Kevin, saying things like, hey, I know you're very busy, but when we were in that motel having sex, you said you would help me. And when you just ignore me like you're doing now, it makes me feel used. Are you going to help me like you said you would? She's holding the sex over his head for roles. Well, this is where the whole thing is very confused because there are two stories here. And on one side of the story are people who see this as another example of a powerful man in Hollywood um, almost extorting sex from a young actress in exchange for the promise of advancement of her career. Or is it the girl using the sex to extort the roles from the vulnerable man, the married man, the married father ahead of a studio who doesn't want it out that he's been having sex with young girls? Right. Here's the interesting thing to me. On the side of the story that it's a powerful man exploiting a young woman, you have uh, people in the community who are hearing these allegations and you possibly have some people at Warner Brothers. They're going to investigate all of this. I don't know if anybody there's made up their mind or not. On the other side, that it's her, you know, that he didn't do this and he didn't exploit her. You have, of course, Kevin. And you have her friend, James Packer. And you have his partner, Brett Ratner. And you have her herself. Because the actress, Charlotte Kirk, has released a statement saying, in essence... None of these guys did anything wrong. None of them did anything to me. They were all totally cool, and I have no claim against any of them. So this is right now a Me Too story where even the alleged victim is publicly saying, no, 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 there's, not, a, there's not an issue here. She wasn't the victim in the story. He's the victim. He thinks he's just having some sex and maybe he'll help her along the way. And then she's sending these threatening text messages saying, hey... 
Uh, when are you going to pay up on this? When we were having sex in that motel, you said you'd help. I mean, could you imagine being a guy who thinks you're just having an extramarital affair and then all of a sudden you get all these threatening text messages saying, like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't know what they, I don't know if she said I'll take it public, but, you know, if you're a married father and very successful in the industry, you don't want that coming out. So you're likely to give this, toss this girl some roles, right? To shut her up. Maybe. She did get a couple of roles, but she says there was nothing about how I got these roles that was untoward. There's another kind of weird angle. The whole thing is very sorted, and it's hard to know who, if anyone, is in the wrong. I mean, this could be a situation where nobody's in the wrong, and it was possibly a misunderstanding of what the expectations were. But the other angle is, my understanding is, at least it's being alleged, that at the time that her friend James Packer sent her the text and sent her to the hotel to meet Kevin, that her and James Packer were dating. Right. That this was her boyfriend who said, guess what? I'm going to set you up with this guy in this fancy hotel. You know what? Go enjoy or whatever. It's not even surprising. It's not even surprising after all the stories we've heard. That is a whole world uh, in Hollywood that I never understand. The dark web. She may have found out that he was going to break up with her or something, sent the text message as insurance because it's written down and people can track texts. And that was her. All we really know right now is that. Hundreds of messages have leaked, text messages, that Warner Media says we will investigate this situation and that none of the people involved, including the actress, are saying that anything wrong happened. All right. Coming up next, we told you about that measles outbreak in Washington. We've got some California cases to tell you about and some testimony on Capitol Hill about kids that are mad at their parents because they weren't vaccinated. We'll tell you about it when we come back. Gary and Shannon, Wayne Resnick in. Girl, you got the fever, killing in your Levi's. High on your love has got me buzzing like a streetlight. It's still early out in Cali, baby. Don't you want to rally again? Gary and Shannon. Wayne Resnick in for Hoffman today. Gary will be back on Monday. Talked about it at the top of the show. R. Kelly says he went to his bank for the first time by himself only about three weeks ago. Discovered he only had about 350 grand left. This was a guy who was once worth 200 million. He is currently in jail because he can't afford about 160 grand in back child support. Of course, he's been charged with sexually abusing three girls and a woman as well. Quite the full plate for him. Sad story locally. Detectives are asking for help identifying a girl believed to be between 8 and 13 years old. Her body was found partially inside a large duffel bag near a equestrian trail in the Hacienda Heights area. Black girl, about 4 four five, uh, 55 pounds, wearing a shirt that said Future Princess Hero. Well, we've got a number of measles stories in the news the one that I read this morning that caught my eye was uh, a guy who spoke to CNN. His name's Joshua Narius. He's 30 years old now, and he's talking about when he came down with the measles uh, a couple years ago. And he says he went to CNN because he wants the story to be publicized. He wants people to know the the faces behind no vaccinations. He says it was a couple years ago where he came down with a rash and a high fever. Now, his doctor's thought it was just an infection. They prescribe him antibiotics, but he doesn't improve. And it's getting worse. The symptoms are getting worse. He goes to the ER at Northwestern Memorial Hospital in Chicago. And the doctor says, you know, it sounds like you've got measles. Were you vaccinated as a kid? So he texts his mom, right? Like we all do when we don't remember what shots we had. 
And he says, uh, I get the, the measles uh, vaccine. Mom texts back the thumbs down emoji. <laughs> How screwed up is that? So this was a guy who went on to lose 25 pounds. He was sick for months. It took him a year to recover. And now he's saying, hey, um, vaccinate your kids, people. This is real. I mean, it really it really threw his life off, off the tracks there for a long time. I know one of the things he said is you know, there's so much information out there that no parent really has an excuse. I do think he's missing the point, though which is most of the parents who don't vaccinate their kids, they know everything about it. In fact, they think they know everything about it, even the things that all the dummies who vaccinate their kids don't know. Right. This isn't a matter of there's not enough information and you have parents who are ignorant, like, what, there's a thing called vaccines I'm supposed to give? It's parents who, as a matter of philosophy, don't do it. It's parents who are focusing on the wrong information. Yes, it's not that they don't have information, exactly. There was a kid, Ethan Lindenberger, 18 years old, from Norwalk, Ohio. He testified yesterday at a Senate committee hearing. This is a committee on health, education, labor, and pensions. And they were talking about measles because there's been outbreaks of measles. We told you about the outbreak in southwestern Washington. At least 70 people have contracted the disease. Most of them are children under the age of 10 who are not vaccinated. Well, Ethan testified yesterday. He said he went against his mother's wishes to get vaccinated. And he says, my mother would turn to social media groups and not to factual sources like the CDC. And then he said, it is with love and respect that I disagree with my mom. And the senators asked, well, where did you get most of your information about vaccinations? And Ethan says, not Facebook. (laughs) You know, in Washington, they just introduced a bill to eliminate all personal exemptions for vaccines. Oh, really? In other words, the only way the only way that you don't have to vaccinate your kid would be if there's a legitimate health reason they can't have the vaccine. Because they're tired of it. How does that work with privacy and privacy laws? I think it's more a matter of how does it work with re- if somebody can say they have a religious objection. Yes, that too. Uh, they might have a bit of trouble. But the point is, I think governments are just getting really tired of the anti-vaxxers because well, it's, it's a public health absolutely risk. i don't believe in washing my hands before i leave the restroom and go back into the kitchen at the randomly throwing out a restaurant chain chipotle three california residents including one from san francisco have contracted measles Although they think they've got it under control. Uh, two of these people were exposed to disease on the on an international flight into San Francisco last month by the third person who picked it up abroad. But they say that they've got the quarantine under control and all of that. You know, that that kid, uh, Joshua Narius, that we talked about, who's 30 now and says he was sick for a year. He lost 25 pounds because of measles and he's running to CNN to get his story publicized. He said that. The crazy thing about it was he contracted the measles at his sister's graduation. And the next day, he was in Vegas at a convention shaking hundreds of people's hands. Now, luckily, he wasn't contagious then. They figured out the hours and all of that. But could you imagine if he was and how that would spread? It's just happenstance that he didn't uh, potentially infect hundreds of people. And then listen to this apple out of Wisconsin. Guy by the name of Jeffrey, he's 57. He had measles, and he was ordered to not leave his home. 
He was quarantined. He snuck out of his home to go to the gym. And now he's been charged with a misdemeanor count of willfully violating the recommendations of a local health officer. I'm sorry, but if I've got measles and mm-hmm. a judge tells me you stay inside because you could spread that disease and I want to go somewhere so bad that I'm going to sneak out and violate the judge's order, it damn, it damn well better not be the gym. You know what I mean? <laughs> It, like, I want to go to the gym. It better be a new craft brewery right. opening up. A new wine bar, you know, a casino, something like that. Something fun. Who's, who violates a judge's order to go to the gym? Well, I think the gym was secondary to the fact that he was feeling stir-crazy. He just wanted to go somewhere. He also said he got to the gym and immediately felt bad. And yeah. turned right around and was walking back to his car. And there was a sheriff's deputy who recognized really? him as a guy that, oh, you're supposed to be in your house with measles. Well, listen to this. His wife is in trouble with the law now because she's the <laughs> one who snuck him out of the house. Right. She was driving the car and he was crouched down in the back because he wanted to go to the gym so bad. There's an easy solution to this. Get a treadmill. Put it in the oh, measles I, house. I was, I was thinking more of punishment. Oh. You have to start treating something like this as a bioterrorism crime. And those are stricter penalties, I would yeah, assume. years and years and yeah. years in prison. Yeah, You want to put this guy away because he wanted to go to the gym? You want to put him away for years, Wayne? Is that what we're yes. doing? Yes. Are you listening to what I just said? Absolutely. <laughs> Won't we then have a measles outbreak in the prison? Who cares, Blake? Okay. No, later after he's... Oh, my God. How fast do you think the justice system works? <laughs> That's, That's around here. It's like literally measles, gym, you're in prison for 10 years. <laughs> there you are at... Uh, FCI no, there's Lompo. pre-trial motions. Yeah, there's document dumps. He'll be cured long <laughs> before he has to go in the clean. All right, you found this story. We're going to talk about next. It is a. It's a good. St- it's a victory for nerds, really. Yes. And when you read about what this woman's family said about her, can't you tell that she's the pain in the ass of the family? It does sound like it. Yeah. All but right. you know what? She's uh, she's a little richer for being a pain in the. Rear end. We'll tell you her story when we come back. Gary and Shannon, Wayne Resnick in today. Gary and Shannon. Well, they're bringing in a track expert at Santa Anita today to inspect the racing surface. To figure out what's going on with the track. They're going through uh, safety procedures and protocols as well. 21 horses have died since uh, December 26. So hopefully they'll fix that problem very quickly. Uh, coming up after Monica's news at the top of the hour, Justin Worsham joins us, host of the Dad Podcast. Speaking of parenting, we've got an egg to watch, guys. A pair of bald eagles in Big Bear now have welcomed an egg to their nest. It happened yesterday. This means that the two bald eagles for the next 35 days or so so, will be sitting on said egg. They say it's going to hatch around April 10th. And yes, there is a live eagle nest cam. So we'll put a link to that on our webpage like we usually do when we have an eagle egg to watch. Well, a woman out of Georgia, uh, she's always really been into the details Donalyn Andrews is her name. She's a high school teacher. Of course she is. A high school teacher, 59 years old, and she says she has a folder for everything. You know those people. Really organized. I'm not that person. It's going to be on her uh, tombstone. 
when she passes. I have a folder for everything. That's pretty good. So she was planning a trip to England with some friends, and they purchased travel insurance because you never know what's going to happen, right? And she buys a policy that cost $454, the lowest price she could find to cover all her travel costs if she needed to cancel. And so the company that she bought the policy from, Tin Leg, a subsidiary of Square Mouth, sent her an insurance policy, and she sat down to read it. Every word of it. Even all the fine print. She says, I always read all the fine print. I know I sound like a nerd, but I learned to read contracts so you wouldn't get taken advantage of. She says she was deep into page seven of the policy. God, how riveting is that? Can't mm-hmm. you just see her with her with her glass of tea or something? <laughs> nice buttery Chardonnay. I don't think puts so. Puts on her favorite shawl, curls up next to a fire. I'd say yes to the shawl, the but I don't insurance. think she's having Chardonnay. I don't. I think that would be wildly ir- irresponsible in her opinion to have a Chardonnay while she's reading through her insurance policy. So then she gets to a section and it says pays to read. And the policy says we estimate that less than 1% of travelers that purchase a travel insurance policy actually read all of their policy information. And we're working to change that. The first person to email us and mention this fine print contest will win $10,000. She immediately emails. Of course, she does. And she finds out that she's the winner. It literally paid to read. Yes. And this isn't just a stunt. They want you to read the whole thing so that if you have a beef later, that at least you will have really read and hopefully understood all the provisions of your uh, insurance policy. This is the Van Halen Brown M&M thing. Mm. where they always put in their contract no brown M&Ms, and it wasn't because they're crazy. It was to make sure that that entire contract and rider had been read because other parts of it have to do with things that involve safety, Handle for example. Does, Handel does that. He puts crazy things in his contract, like brown M&Ms. You know that? Well, he has a bagel. He does have a bagel clause he in does. his contract. He does. So that when he goes oh, to Postathon every year, oh, it yeah. is, and this is an actual <laughs> part of his contract. Oh, yeah. It specifies who the approved bagel providers it, it are. Specifies I thought that cut. was a joke. No, Monica, they must be Monica. cut. Yeah, it's it's special. It, 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 it goes into the cutlery used. Wow. That you can't have plastic knives or the bagels have to be cut already, pre-cut. Yeah. Is that correct? Wow. You have to have real knives or alternatively they're pre-cut before they're brought in. What a dream just to create a contract and just put random things in it. See, I never want to be that guy. I do. <laughs> But look, it paid off for her to read everything. Well, but I would say, I mean, is, maybe I'm a little nerd, too. It's probably a good idea this to is my, read every part of anything you're signing. Sure. This is my favorite part of it. Yeah. Uh, she says, most of the comments from people who know me have been, that doesn't surprise me. You're that kind of person. <laughs> yeah. She's known. She's they known know who they got as the yeah, tightwad. Yeah, but who's got the 10 grand? Right. That's true. All right. Coming up next, Justin, Justin Worsham joins us. We're going to be talking about... Parents encouraged to take an old-fashioned approach to parenting. It's happening in Australia. What exactly does that mean, and does it work? We'll tackle it next on Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon. Wayne Resnick in today for Hoffman. He'll be back on Monday. News 
Coming out of New York today, President Trump's former lawyer Michael Cohen has filed a lawsuit claiming the Trump organization failed to pay nearly $2 million towards his legal defense. Alleging breach of contract says that uh, the legal fees were not paid after he began cooperating with federal prosecutors. Seems like he had that in his contract with the Trump organization. Hey, if I get in trouble for your ass, you've got to pay for my fees. And they stopped doing that. We'll see. A federal judge will sentence Paul Manafort today for defrauding banks and the government, failing to pay all those taxes. Prosecutors say he deserves between 19 and 25 years in prison. I think he's in his late 60s, right? 69 or something like that. Could be in prison for the rest of his life. So we'll stay on top of that. But it's 11 o'clock on Thursday, which means we welcome our friend and host of the Dad Podcast, Justin Worsham. Good afternoon. That's good morning. My apologies. Mm-hmm. Good morning. You get it wrong right off the bat. Right huh? out of the bat. I'm going to go, guys. Stay dry. Thanks for, thanks for playing. Shannon's already so jaded by you that she didn't even applaud. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> That was a that was a very good and unfortunate pause. What the what the listeners couldn't see is Shannon go. Oh, I guess I shouldn't end that sentence there. I'm just. Oh no, I don't applaud. That's not a thing. I don't. Not for Justin. Uh, you just. It's just that you get applause so oh so other so many other places that yes. like my value add is to not give you any applause or attention. Yeah, I guess keep me hungry. I think. Right. But what you're not understanding is the black hole uh, that is my self esteem. It just swallows all light and joy in and around it. Oh, but I, it's Never satiated. That, I, I understand that entirely. No, we're too close to each other, by the way. <laughs> All right. We could cause a time paradox. Justin uh, is here to talk to two people that don't have kids uh, yeah, about I parenting. I was so excited about this part. Can I, can I ask something? Yeah, I don't sure. know if this has come up before on the show. Is he talking to two people who don't want to have kids? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes, 110%. So last week, for anybody who missed it, go back and check out the podcast because I'm still randomly laughing throughout my life at Shannon. We were talking about how socioeconomic status dictates your uh, – your propensity towards discipline, right? So the lower you would fall in your tax bracket, say, the more likely you are to believe in uh, corporal punishment or discipline being a high thing. Whereas if you make a lot of money, you're a little bit more loosey-goosey with the rules. And I was asking uh, Shannon and Gary about their uh, income level, and Shannon didn't know how, like, her... her Visceral response to the answer goes, well, I would, I would definitely hit my kids if that's what you're if that's, asking. If that's your question. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, not, I don't have time for that. Hey, you don't nobody, have time for that. Nobody got time for that. Time not for your back, Not time for your back talk. <laughs> Australian parents oh. are, are being told to uh, take an old-fashioned approach to parenting. Yes. What does that mean? We talk a lot about the pendulum, right, of parenting where we are coming out of, in my opinion, this life of helicopter parenting and parenting being hyper-involved, uh, parents being hyper-involved and Lawnmower parenting was the last trend. Now millennials have jet fighter parenting where they only swoop in in case of emergency and do a flyby and then leave, right? Free-range parenting is on the comeback, and I think this is just another part of that. Right now, when I look for information that I eventually bring to these segments, it's very interesting to see what the Googles are presenting in the world of parenting. There's two main thoughts, and and these are in opposition. There is this thought that Australian research is showing that parents might be better off having a simplistic approach. And what they mean by that is that you're better off interacting with your kid, doing simple things by going on a walk uh, is going to be better for your kid because they're, the kids are having not only issues mentally but also physically. Childhood obesity is on the rise virtually everywhere in the globe now. Now, places like Europe are scaling, are scoring much lower than we are. We are you know, right up there, America. 
Uh, and then, but and then also the South Pacific, weirdly enough, is huge up there. But what they're finding is that it all comes down to physical activity. They're also saying things like getting away from screen time, making it more about playing games and family Good. interaction. Because the kids, on average, in Australia, spend fourteen point six hours in front of a TV or video game system, while they only spend nine point three hours on average per week Look at interacting you with, your with their statistics parents. Statistics and numbers. Guys, I got numbers, son. Got numbers. I'm a bad, bad dad. <laughs> Yes, yes, you. Uh, Wayne Resnick, KFI News. Uh, you don't have to raise People your People can't see. I'm raising my hand. I did. I saw I called on him. I know how uh, you press say it, So work. it's better to do simple things. Is this as opposed to doing complicated Correct. tech-based activities or opposed to doing nothing? What it is, it's a little bit or of both. both. What it is is that today's parent feels like they are constantly having to fill their kids' uh, schedule with extracurricular activity. We have to be in gymnastics. We have to learn an instrument. You have to learn a foreign language. And what now research is coming out to saying, like, Hey, everybody. Screw the Mandarin. Yes. Go for a picnic. Exactly. And that the, the benefits of that are far, far greater than all of these other extracurriculars. And most of the people are doing them to get help kids get into college. It looks good on a college application, but it has become such the norm that college applications are actually favoring people who have a part-time job versus people who have thousands of hours of volunteer time. They're favoring the kids who lived off the grid, you yep. know. The, yeah. the kid that grew up with no electricity. Yes. Uh, Wayne Resnick, KFI News. So these other things that you're now poo-pooing, like gymnastics and learning Mandarin, mm-hmm. is the problem the nature of those activities, or is the problem too many activities? It, think, rega- because what if you're taking your kid? It's like we're going to go on a walk. Now we're going to whittle a knife. Yes. Now we're going to churn some butter. Wouldn't that be just as bad? No, as- because I think everybody's doing the Mandarin gymnastics route, and it makes your kid less interesting if your kid's doing whatever all the other kids are doing. And so the kid that's uh, that's soldering things in 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 the garage suddenly gets more attention. Maybe in the admissions office because it's something different. And I would be, yeah, I agree. And I and I would be interested to see at one point if there's another pendulum that maybe goes into a third dimension instead of backwards and forward. Where, yeah, because I've never seen any research that's against kind of over investment from a parent, and that's very yeah. different from helicopter parenting, right? Helicopter parenting to me is kind of walking around and trying to manage your kid's emotional state and kind of manipulating things from nearby to guide them through everything without letting them stumble. Whereas just having lots of conversations and interaction with your kid is very different. Like, I think if you were doing a physical activity with your kid constantly, I don't see any negative. Although I would argue that all things in moderation are better. But does that answer your question or did I fail? No, I think I get it. Okay, good. But, but Shannon seems to be fixated more on what you brought up about how it looks on Correct. a college application. But when you say it's more, it's better parenting. yes. Do you mean that in terms of laying a foundation for your kid to have an awesome college application? Or do you mean for general developmental markers? I think here's what I felt. I felt Shannon addressed the idea of why people are involved in extracurriculars that predominantly, and this is an overgeneralization, predominantly they are doing all these things to make their kids seem like a very well-rounded, overachieving individual to get into a good school uh, and I'm saying that to, there is a detriment to that as far as how it, how it helps them prepare for life. And that ironically, now what's happening is people who tend to put more of an emphasis on preparing them for life, but, albeit literally. If you, if you had a kid who said, my dad was a Navy SEAL and a la Jesse the Body Ventura took me out for Navy SEAL escapades in the Central American jungles, that would definitely stick out more than the average kid who That's also knows Mandarin, tennis, right. and uh, has committed 20-plus thousand hours of volunteer time. Does that make sense? Can you just make a spreadsheet of what I'm supposed to do with the kid every hour? 
That's exactly it. Lose the spreadsheet. Oh. Every once in a while, have a conversation, have a meal with your kid, be invested in their life. That's what the Australian research is saying in short. So kind of chillax about it, if it I may use a really indeed. irritating word. Take a chill pill, parents. All right, coming up, more expert advice from Justin. Nailed like it, weird things moms and dads do to win at parenting. Also, people are spending a ridiculous amount of money on luxury nurseries. This is fun. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. <laughs> Justin Worsham's oh with God. us. Wayne is here. Oh, 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 I'm falling, so I'm taking my time on my ride. Taking my time on my ride. Gary and Shannon. Wayne Resnick in today and tomorrow if we're allowed, right? If we make it out of today alive. <laughs> Former Vice President Joe Biden is said to be in the final stages of preparing for 2020. His campaign, they say, is expected to launch next month. We'll get all of your politics. Read that again, but stop after the word stages. I don't remember what I said. Oh. I'm sorry. Never mind. What did I what, what what did I say? Well, it was Joe Biden is in the final stages. Oh, that's not good. Yeah, see, you've got to get right to him get preparing to for his run for president. Okay. I, I apologize for giving sad. you a scare there, Wayne. Everybody okay? Everybody all right? Do we need a hug? I, I just don't want anything to happen to Uncle Joe. I okay. think we'll survive this. Okay. Justin Worsham is here, host of the Dad Podcast. Fingers crossed. And you have some ideas on weird things moms and dads do to win at parenting. Yeah, now here's the thing. The the inclination is always good, in my opinion, is that you're going to want to make fun of these because these do sound super stupid and super sappy. And there was a time in my parenting life that I would go, I would literally say, F you to this stuff. Like, I'm like, this is dumb. But as a guy who's been in that stay-at-home parent rut that you could get in, and even as a guy who now works, and I feel like I feel personally right now in my life that I'm a little disconnected from my kids, and I don't like it. So I'm... I'm looking, and maybe that's why I kind of Rorschach and found this uh, information. What do you mean you're feeling disconnected? I feel like I'm building this, you know, real estate career in the hope that I can have more time with my family. And so mm-hmm. I've given myself, I'm like, okay, for the first year or so, I'm going to see, I got to learn a lot. So I'm really committed a lot to it. I'm still involved in the school. I'm still picking the kids up, but there's a lot of time where after school, they'll, you know, we'll have a little bit of time to hang out and talk, but then I got to get back to work or I'm answering the phone. And I don't like that. I like being a dad more than anything but i feel like in order to do that i have to also make certain choices to be able to take care and uh, keep the lights on as they say of my kids so i like whenever i i feel these kinds of ruts i find this stuff and i think it oftentimes if you are open to trying it it can break you out of that rut one of my favorite ones on this list was a very merry unbirthday so if you ever feel that your family right, is really struggling, like everybody's just kind of at each other, the kids are fighting each other, and just everybody's got kind of cabin fever, you know, what this family does is they just declare that it's everybody's birthday, and everybody makes a, a card for each other, and then they bake a cake and have a nice meal and, and just make it a party, and I think it's a nice way to shake the etch sketch, but based on the look on Shannon Farron's face right now, she's already unamused by this well, concept. Well, the, the fun thing about your birthday is that you're the special person that day. <laughs> Not everybody. You. Good point by you. Good point by you. What is going on? Is it? Oh, he's on the phone. Wait, wait I'm sorry. Are, are we bothering you? Do you need to take a phone call? Oh, we can't hear it. I think you got to put the other one. Oh, is this Alice in Wonderland? Is that what I'm... Wow, this is great. 
You know, if you wanted Somebody to play the... a song, you could just tell Blake to play the song. Yeah, well, there's no time because it just came up right now. Yeah. Okay, got it. I'm not very good. Oh, spontaneity, Shannon. Uh, another way. <laughs> <laughs> it's called knowing, knowing things and spontaneity. It's, ca- never... it's called bad audio, Wayne. I've never seen. <laughs> A more black kettle pot situation than that right there. I've never, there's never been a better example than this that, is why that you just heard. This is so much fun today. And it's probably not going to happen tomorrow. Probably not. Probably watch not. Watch this, watch this. I'm ready. What's another weird thing parents can do? Oh, Justin? this is good. Thank you for sticking to the script, Wayne. Uh, they, one of the things that I love too, and I haven't gotten this far, but one of the, the, the complaints I hear from parents who have teenagers is that talking about that disconnect where the teenagers don't really want to talk to them anymore. Yeah. Well, this was a great one that a stepmom did, and she was trying to find a way to connect with her stepdaughter, who was a teenager. And so one day she just had, a, she bought like a journal and then wrote her a letter and left it in a room and said, if you'd like, you could write me back. And I, weirdly enough, the kids started writing her back. And so now they kind of communicate oh, during cool. these letters. And it's a weird thing that writing a letter provides a certain level of anim- anonymity. And they, it's almost like a diary where they feel op- a little more open to share uh, what's going on in their life. I see. Uh, I see. I see a movie coming out of that right. story. Right. You know, like a mother-daughter notebook kind of thing. Yes. And I feel my my go-to, and that's what I when I woke up this morning and knew I was coming here and was kind of checking in on how I'm doing as a parent. My thing was I'm I'm going to start making walks. I think a walk is the most easy way. We talked about it a little bit in the last segment too. It is the most easy way to reconnect with your kids. Yeah. Like, get, is get cast fresh. iron better for that or aluminum? <laughs> Uh, you get fresh go, air, too? The kid gets go, fresh air? Teflon. Uh, yes, they, everybody gets fresh air. And it's hard because here's the thing. Any parent who's heard this, and if you're in, a, in, in that rut that I like to talk about, you going on a walk sometimes is not refreshing. It is not relaxing because you're managing you know, siblings bickering. But just stay the course. Trust me. You'd set the expectations. Say, hey, we're here to chill. We're here to relax. Try to guide the conversation. And eventually that will become the routine where I've built it now, I think, to a good point. Now that I'm trying to reset it, I'm probably going to have a little bit of course correction happening with the kids, but I think eventually you get there and everything is super cool. Do we have time to talk about crazy nurseries in New York? Sure, we got about a minute. Oh, uh, this is great. The, the, the reason I said Jesus, Mary, and Joseph and I had such a visceral reaction is because I saw the number. I saw the... the, the $100,000. Uh, $100,000 on the nursery, on one room. Room. That is really only good for about two years, and then you got to reset it because it's no longer decorated for a kid that age. On average, they're spending ten dollars to $20,000 in the upper-class areas of New York. My favorite story is that a woman was concerned about losing her $10,000 Louis Vuitton shoe because she sent a shoe to a furniture store here in Riverside, California, so that it could exactly match the color of her shoe to her $3,000 crib that she had custom made. No, that didn't happen. That did happen. It's great. It's awesome. I like it. I like it. Shannon does not like this. Wayne and I were joking about how there are no victims in this crime, really. because No, this is a victimless thing going yeah. on. It's people who have money who are spending it legitimately. And, and, you just don't appreciate their priorities. Yes. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. That crystallizes So here's my, my question that we will wrap up on is that Wayne and I were talking during the break when you stepped out and mm-hmm. I would be curious because we would liken this to you having your own say brand of bubbly wine or Chardonnay. How much annual money would Shannon Farron have to make before she would be absolutely comfortable paying for her own personalized catered to your taste Chardonnay? I would never do that. Come on. I see the housewives do this, dollars. and I think it's ridiculous. I mean, how much of a narcissist do you have to be to want your own label, uh, your like own uh, hobbyist label uh, of, of Chardonnay? 
Listen, I'm fine with the the seven dollar ninety nine cent bottle of Edna Valley. I'm fine with that. I don't need to have my own. You don't Although need now that you mention it, <laughs> I do have some ideas for the label and maybe the bottle design. <laughs> Point seven second, <laughs> seconds before they turn that around. That was great. You're the best comedic genius, Shannon Farron. I've not said enough. You are a comedic genius. Justin, God bless you. Justin Worsham, host of the Dad Podcast. He will be here next Thursday, same time, same place. Appreciate it as always. Thank you. Thank Love you. you. Love, Love you. you Good to see you here. So much nicer without Gary here, right? I know. Love fest. Stop it, guys. All right, Gary and Shannon. Wayne Resnickin. (laughs) Stop it, guys. I think he's uncomfortable. I think I'm uncomfortable, too. Gary and Shannon. It is Thursday, which means we'll talk tech coming up in the one o'clock hour. Retro games, the best phone of 2019. We will have all the latest news for you. It looks like an increasing number of California state workers are retiring with huge payouts for unused vacation and other leave. And they shouldn't be able to. There's a law on the books that says there's a cap on vacay time you get to tap out with, but nobody's enforcing it. Classic California. Just typical ineptitude. Terrible story today coming out of the Hacienda Heights area where a girl's body has been found in a rollaway duffel bag. Andrew Mullenbeck is covering the story for us and joins us now with the details. Andrew, when was this discovery made? It was made Monday morning, but they believe the actual event happened sometime Sunday. And yesterday we got a little bit more information about what's at play here. Investigators say the girl that was found was between 8 and 13 years old. She is African-American, about 4 feet 5 inches tall, and she weighed about 55 pounds. And L.A. County Sheriff's Lieutenant Scott Hoagland says it appears the body was dumped about 24 to 48 hours before it was found Monday. The victim was in fact found um, partially inside of a uh, black rollaway uh, type duffel bag. Uh, the upper uh, portion of the victim was protruding from that, uh, that bag. So one of the things that uh, investigators are talking about right now is they simply don't have a whole lot of leads to work with. They don't know of a missing person directly who might be connected to this individual. They don't know if the girl was from Southern California at all. They've checked in with missing persons from various states. So at this point, they're really trying to find anybody who might know of a missing person or anybody who might have seen a vehicle in the area Sunday night. Again, this is in Hacienda Heights, just south of the 60 freeway near Hacienda Boulevard. For those who know the area, uh, there is a Buddhist temple uh, right nearby there. So that's where they're at right now. They're just trying to get some tips to find out who is this individual. Are there any missing girls cases that they're looking at? There is one that really kind of got some attention today. It's a a missing girl, an African-American girl from the Lancaster area. But so far, detectives are saying 
that is not connected to this case. So I did see a number of people wondering that very thing on social media, whether it was connected. But at this point, investigators are saying they do not believe those two cases are connected. So that leaves them back at the beginning here trying to figure out who this girl was, uh, where she might be from if people are looking for her. And the other element to this is investigators are saying it's not clear how the girl died. We, You heard the investigator talking about the body partially being found in a duffel bag. Uh, but again, here, this is uh, Lieutenant Scott Hoagland saying it's not clear if she was dead before being dumped on the trail. Investigators did not observe any obvious signs of trauma uh, to the victim's body. Um, at this time, this uh, incident is being uh, ruled as a suspicious death investigation. And the de cause of death will be determined at an autopsy that should be uh, taking place pl taking place the next day or two. So that was really one of the key questions we had when we had a chance to talk with sheriff's officials yesterday afternoon is, of course, the coroner always handles the cause of death, but was there any visible sign of abuse or could you see some markings? And at this point, at least they're saying, no, they couldn't, that the, they just found this uh, girl's body partially in a duffel bag near the trail against some uh, workers doing uh, some maintenance in the area. I believe it was brush clearing, uh, found the body Monday morning. And again, investigators think the body had only been there a very short period of time, maybe a day. Uh, Andrew, hey, it's Wayne. Uh, yeah. how, how far into kind of pulling back from the, where they found the body and starting to look for, for example, surveillance footage on the way to this location, are they? Yeah, they only talked about that they were looking at some cameras that would have dealt with the road that kind of is above the trail area because what we heard, at least originally, was the idea that perhaps somebody pulled over to the side of the road and shoved uh, the bag with uh, the body, unfortunately, in it down because it's a lower level where this trail is. It's both a horse trail, hiking trail, and that area of Hacienda Heights. And so that the, the cameras that they were looking at uh, had to do with the, the road nearby. Now, I don't know how far back they're going, but they have roughly the area uh, where they think somebody may have pulled over. And those are the cameras that they're looking for. I was looking at that missing girl uh, out of Lancaster as yeah. well. Uh, and the, the big discrepancy there is that that girl, although she is in the age range, she's 13, I believe. And, and like you said, they're, they're thinking that this girl found is between 8 and 13. But right. the missing girl is listed at 5'4", 130 pounds. And this, this girl is 4'5", and 55 pounds. So the, the height there is the discrepancy. And they said that, that this girl that was found in the duffel bag that she did not have signs of malnutrition or anything like that. Right. And, and that itself was a question because they said she only weighed 55 pounds. And that seems and, small for four or five. And, and that was right. That, that was one of the questions that came up yesterday is they said there were no signs of malnutrition, but 55 pounds is fairly skinny. But yes, again, getting back to your point there about the differences between the case we're talking about in Hacienda Heights and the missing girl out of Lancaster, a very large difference in the reported weight and also the height. Um, but again, we were seeing a lot of people wonder this very thing, particularly on social media, even some family members of uh, the missing girl in Lancaster wondering if there was any connection. At least investigators are saying at this time that they don't believe there is a connection. And again, that girl who went missing from Lancaster, that started on Valentine's Day, February 14th. So that's a pretty considerable amount of time. And again, they're 
at this point, just trying to find anybody who can lead them in the direction of finding out who was this individual. Is anybody missing? And again, it doesn't even need to be from Southern California. They, they say it could just be anywhere. Well, is, it, is there any sense that the fact that there's no report of a missing person that might match um, this little girl, that it makes it any more likely that it's a parent or someone who would have been the, the person to report her missing who is responsible for dumping this body? Well, that could certainly be one possibility. Another could be that the, the individual is not from Southern California at all. If someone had you know, come from across the country or something, then you might not also have a, a local missing person. So I think that's kind of the dilemma that investigators are facing, whether it is you know, somebody who was very close to the girl or someone who's from a different part of the country uh, without a lot of tips to go on. And you know, you, they might not be able to work from dental records or anything like that. And another difficult thing about it was... Uh, that she didn't have any identifiable markings on her body, maybe a birthmark or something like that. However, investigators did release a sketch yesterday, and that's been making the rounds in publications and social media. The, the girl at the time that she was found dead, she was wearing a pink shirt that said, Future Princess Hero. And I know that's gotten a lot of people's attention too, but maybe it can just jog someone's memory if they know any girl who um, might look like the sketch that's been released or have seen this girl in, in this particular shirt. So they're really just putting it out there, trying to get any assistance and trying to find out who this girl was. Andrew, Lieutenant Hoglin said, uh, of course, these are the hardest cases to handle. He said it was unclear whether she was dead or alive when she was squeezed into yeah. the bag. I don't know if you know the answer to this, but is that something the autopsy would tell us? Uh, potentially, I think it would it, if you look at the cause of death. Um, you know, they, they said that there were no external visible injuries. The investigator said that. But, of course, the autopsy goes into details way beyond that. I suspect that they'll have a pretty good indication uh, when the girl died. And, of course, the, the cause and manner of death may help them uh, put that together. But that was another thing that was kind of interesting in, in talking with investigators again yesterday. That just they're saying that they don't know if she was dead at the time that she was uh, dropped off or shoved down this hill in a duffel bag. Uh, but again, they believe it happened sometime on Sunday. And again, suggesting that uh, this girl had not been dead for long one way or another, however it happened. Can I ask one more question? Did they say yeah. anything about whether they've already queried the national missing persons database? I know that they obviously don't have a name to put in, but they do yeah, have a race and a height and a weight. Have they plugged that information into that national database? They said they've reached out to that database. I don't. They didn't describe the the kind of detail, the conversation, or you know if they were able to do exhaustive searches within that. But they did say that they've had, uh, they've reached out to the national database, and they've also talked with neighboring states to see if there's a missing person who might match this description. Andrew, great reporting. Appreciate it. You got it. Coming up next, California state workers are hoarding vacation days, and it's costing taxpayers $3.5 billion. All for naught, too. We'll tell you what that's about when we come back. Gary and Shannon, Wayne Resnick in today. Gary and Shannon. So a TV station down in San Diego, KNSD, first reported this story, and it's getting a lot of traction from 
civil liberties groups, activists. Apparently, the U.S. government kept a database on journalists, activists, organizers, and instigators during an investigation into last year's caravan from Mexico. Two U.S. officials unauthorized to speak publicly confirmed the database to the Associated Press. A lot of people upset about that. The Senate Intelligence Committee is interested in re-interviewing Donald Trump Jr. after Michael Cohen spoke to the committee last week. So we'll see if that happens. The uh, committee first interviewed Trump Jr. back in 2017. Well, it looks like California is not following its own rules. And now it's leaving taxpayers $3.5 billion in debt. This is all about vacation time that people are stacking up before they retire and then getting this huge payout. The L.A. Times used a a guy for an example. He's a government transportation engineer. He he was an engineer for 36 years. And when he retired, he was paid $405,000 for vacation time he never used. He's not even the top guy. There was a, a surgeon at the prison in, out in Riverside, $456,000. I knew I should have been a surgeon I'm sorry, $456,002 he got for his unused vacation time. Here's the thing with this. And, you know, everyone's retiring at the same time, and, and they're all doing this, and so we're screwed. But here's the thing. California mandates that vacation balances for most employees is capped at 640 hours. And, yes, 640 hours is a nod to KFI and the John and Ken show for cracking down on things like this. But they just don't enforce the rule. And even the 640, that is extremely generous. Wayne, you worked for the government. I did, but not for the state of California. What's wrong with you people? No, it's, this is not us. You need to get it together. No, I can tell you this. Federal, when I was with the feds, uh, we had a maximum rollover of 240 hours a year. So at, and, and then over the course of that year, you could start a year with 240 hours of leave. And over the course of the year, you would get more. So you could get to the end of the year with a lot of leave. But come January 1, if you didn't use it, you're back down to 240. So you couldn't pull this at the federal level at all. So is it easy to just start enforcing the rule now? Or will these people have a a case that uh, why them? Why why now when uh, their colleagues were able to, to, to cash out on all their vacation? You know, I don't know the answer to that except that there's been a lot of litigation over the years about changing the pension systems and other perks that state employees get. And the employees have been pretty successful in court right. at stopping a lot of those actions. Here the difference is this wouldn't be an attempt to put in a new law. It's an existing law. It's already the law. law right. and, and, a, and the L.A. Times is writing about this as they should. But there's a part of this article when they're covering it where they kind of start saying, oh, you know, if they want to start enforcing the rule, it could be very difficult. It could be tied up in court. And I think they're right. I think that if they said we have to start enforcing a law that has already been on the books, that people will sue and say what you just said. You didn't enforce it for him or him or him or him. Why me? Unequal treatment. And I think there's something I wish Handel were here. Not really, but I wish a lawyer were here. There's something I think it's called collateral estoppel. And I think it means uh, if the condo association didn't go after you when you put up the windows that you're not supposed to have. You can't come after me now. Exactly. 
I mean, I see that argument being very successful. Did they do a cost-benefit analysis saying uh, how much of those lawsuits going to ca- uh, cost us compared to how much three and a half billion dollars? Right, probably not. And is there anybody right now in state government this, who has a motivation to stop this? No. This is what I don't understand. If I want to take vacation time here, I go into the computer, I go into a program, it tells me how many hours I have, and if I take a vacation day and, and it's, I don't have the hours for it, it won't let me take a vacation day. Why isn't there some sort of mechanism for state workers to log on to the similar computer program yes. and then they just cap it? How is it, how is it even possible to have a balance of more than 640 hours if the law caps it at that. Right. There should be no computer screen unless they're keeping it like my dentist still keeps his appointment records in the old-fashioned handwritten ledger book. And there's a guy in Sacramento keeping track of everybody's vacation. This old grizzled guy's like, okay, now you have a thousand <laughs> He's got crooked hours. fingers. Yeah. <laughs> you got a thousand. He's in a lair. You got a thousand <laughs> hours of it. Because really, if you think about it, it shouldn't be possible for the balance to ever be higher than that. Correct. All right, coming mm. up next, we will talk about everything everyone is talking about everywhere, right here on Gary and Shannon. If only Gary and Shannon, Wayne Resnick is hanging out with me today. Hey, thanks a lot. This is fun. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for requesting my presence. President Trump's former lawyer, Michael Cohen, has filed a lawsuit claiming the uh, Trump organization failed to pay nearly $2 million towards his legal defense. He says that they uh, stopped paying his legal fees after he began cooperating with federal prosecutors. (laughs) I actually think that's pretty fair, but legally probably not. Unless, you know what, (laughs) unless there's an anti-disparagement clause somewhere in there. Yeah. And then the Trump organization say, excuse me, now all you're doing is talking smack about yeah, us. You are disparaging us. Uh, a federal judge is going to sentence Paul Manafort today for defrauding banks and the government and failing to pay taxes on millions of dollars. Manafort, they say, prosecutors, deserves between 19 and 25 years in prison, as well as millions of dollars in fines and restitution. He's 69 years old. He could be locked up for the rest of his life. I don't know how his health is, and also sometimes people's health deteriorate greatly oh, once they go to prison. I'm sure even his if health he gets deteriorated greatly as soon as he was found guilty. Yeah. Uh, even if he gets half of what they're asking for, he could die in prison. You know, defense attorneys will bring him in on a stretcher with a, with a uh, you know, uh, with an IV mm-hmm. tree to, to show how, how much his health has gone down the tubes. All right. What else is going on? Time for What's Happening. Well, right now in Illinois, the feds are dealing with a very bad guy. 39-year-old Floyd Brown is who they are negotiating with right now. He's in his car. It's crashed along a central Illinois interstate. And they're trying to negotiate with him to have this come to a peaceful conclusion. Officers say he was the one who opened fire at cops who descended on an extended stay America in Rockford, Illinois. And he struck a local officer assigned to the Marshall Service Fugitive Task Force, took off in that car. 
and they say he does have a rifle. He was wanted in connection with a Bloomington armed robbery. You go up against that U.S. Marshals, rarely do you win that confrontation. Robert Kraft will now maybe in court. This is a 180 from what we heard from his attorney, that it would be his attorney representing him in in Florida at his arraignment in late March. But now, according to court papers released today, it looks like he must be present at this hearing or a warrant could be issued for his arrest. However, according to his attorney, disregard those court papers because they're only boilerplate. And when they say he must be present at this hearing... It doesn't really apply to him specifically, and the words were not put there specifically for him. They're just in the document that they send out to notify you of your court appearance, and that on misdemeanors, it is still customary for only the attorney to appear on his behalf. So we just don't know. He could face between six months and a year in jail in addition to 100 hours of community service, a mandatory $5,000 fine. You know, I was reading through the issues that prosecutors are going to have in that case, and they're pretty extensive. Uh, like the video surveillance might be thrown out because they say you can only do video surveillance if there's no other way to obtain evidence in, a, in an investigation. Also, the traffic stop they did afterwards where they, they, they stopped the car and they asked Robert Kraft for his identification. Well, why? He wasn't driving the car. He was being chauffeured. So that could be thrown out. These These prostitution stings sometimes really do end up badly for the cops for all of these reasons. And here's what I can't figure out yet. They have video of literally the act. Yes. This is prostitution against him. It's described as hand stimulation. Okay. We did. That's fine. Uh, So here's what I want to know, because there's only two possibilities here. One, the police went in and somehow without the knowledge of the massage parlor place, got hidden cameras into the place, which means there had to they be did. a warrant. No, this is what they did. Well, yes. Or they, they went in and they told them, we have a suspicious package that we're investigating in the business next to you. Remember, this is a, a day spa and a strip mall. Right. So they go in and, and they say, we need everybody out of the day spa. We need to investigate this package. Make sure that there's an all clear thing here. They put in the cameras and then they leave. So they had to have a warrant to do yes. all of this. So they knew for a while that, that, that things were going on in there. Yeah. And I want to know what's in the affidavit for that warrant. Because all of this, look, they're going to say, right, this is about human trafficking. But so far, there has been not a whiff of human trafficking in this case or, or with well, regard no, to his, that spa. I mean, his, his, his charges have nothing to do with human trafficking. It's just solicitation. No, I'm saying if Money you went to sex. a judge and you said, I think, I think they're giving happy endings in this massage parlor – I don't think you're going to get a warrant right. from any judge to put in to to, to go through the ruse. Right. So is the fact that they so it, what did they tell the judge to get the ability to go in there I see and put those saying. cameras in there? I see what you're saying. And furthermore, God, it sounds like I'm sticking up for an old rich it guy. Does. Who, if, if I get caught you know, in a day paid spa, for happy endings, that's not gonna, what I'm doing. I'm going to hire you as my defense attorney. Well, I don't want anybody. I, mean, I don't want anybody lying to put cameras in places. I'm going to here, be. Here's my other question: If you're fishing, if, if your warrant is fishing for evidence of sex trafficking, mm-hmm. and then you end up getting this other crime, you know, you end up catching another criminal with that net. Is that okay? 
It depends on what your original warrant was for. If but, it's just But my for... point is, what did they show the judge to say there's probable cause that there's uh, human trafficking going on in that spot? Yeah. Alex Trebek broke our hearts with this video yesterday, revealing yesterday that he has been diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. It is terrible prognosis, two to six months for people. Uh, He said, just like 50,000 other people in the U.S. each year this week, I was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. He says he's going to keep working. I mean, that is that is something on the one. uh, He will have, I'm assuming, access to the best possible treatment. Yeah, but I don't I don't. The five-year survival rate, I think it's up to, this is considered an improvement over the years, I think the five-year survival rate's up to like 7%. God, it's terrible. And there are people who completely beat it. Very few and far between. Disney has announced opening dates for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge in Disneyland. The opening date is May 31st. Get ready for long lines and lots of strollers. Hollywood Studios in Orlando will open up uh, August, late August. (laughs) Take that, Florida. We get it first. What are you looking forward to more? Riding the ride called the Millennium Falcon, where you will actually take control of the most famous ship in the galaxy? Or catching a quick bite at Ronto Roasters, a recycled engine fires up some exotic meats. You know, exotic meats sounds like it could be... uh... Uh, food poisoning situation. When I hear mm. exotic meats, I think of that scene in Bridesmaids where they have to go to the bathroom in the street, and, oh, yeah. and I, I tap out. Hey, Captain Marvel is getting a lot of attention. I cannot wait to go see this. They're saying that advanced ticket sales are passing figures hit by Avengers Infinity War. This is the first female-led Marvel Cinematic Universe film, and it is getting great reviews. I just can't wait to go see it. It's in Real D, 3D, IMAX, March 7th. Girl power, Wayne. That's what it's all about. I agree. I I wish, you know, you are the majority of the planet. I wish you all would take over. We're working on it. Coming up next, a guy dies during a surgery, and the details are released, and I don't know why. Because it's really unfortunate for this man and his legacy. Gary and Shannon. Wayne Resnick hanging out today. Gary will be back on Monday. Well, R. Kelly said today he went to the bank for the first time by himself only about three weeks ago and discovered for the first time he only had about 350 grand left. A man who was once worth more than $200 million, he says that other people had access to his bank accounts and that they were stealing from him. A judge yesterday sent R. Kelly to jail because he said he could not afford about $161,000 in back child support. He's also been charged with sexually abusing three girls and a woman. And then a new potential accuser came out this morning. Detectives in Detroit are anxious to speak with her about her story. Detectives around here are asking for help identifying a girl believed to be between 8 and 13 years old whose body was found partially inside a large duffel bag near a equestrian trail in the Hacienda Heights area. She's a black girl, about 4'5", 55 pounds. She was 
wearing a shirt that said future princess hero and uh, gray pants with pandas on them when her body was found. Well, this is an unfortunate story. We've got a guy, a billionaire diamond trader that was going through an operation in Paris, suffered a cardiac arrest on the table and died. A 65-year-old man at this private clinic on the champs This happens sometimes during surgical procedures. It does. It does. Uh, 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 he, he's an experienced diamond expert, and they say his heart attack happened when a, sub, a substance was injected into his penis. Ouch. He was having a penis enlargement surgery. Now, my question is mm-hmm. this. You only have one question? Yeah. Okay. Well, no, I have several. Number one, he's a billionaire. He's a good-looking guy. Was. Why would you go through a penis enlargement uh, surgery at that point in life when you, you know? Yes, Blake, thank you for holding up your fingers and showing me that. that. Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, uh, Here's my real problem with the story. Yeah. My real problem with the story is this poor man's legacy. You mean his third legacy? No, it didn't get to that point. He died. Yeah, there is no third legacy. Well, I'm, no, the leg- it will be that he was small. This is what I don't understand. When somebody dies in an embarrassing fashion, why do we all get to know about it? Like, why can't this man just go into the night without us knowing that he wasn't satisfied with his, his penis size? Why do we have to know about that? Why did two apples on the radio have to know the details of what he was dealing with in his life? I yes. think I think I know the answer. What? Uh, he was a billionaire, yeah. but he did not spend enough of that money on good lawyers because what he could have done is drawn up a super ironclad NDA. That's exactly what I would do if against I was going to go clinic. get a Saying you can never surgery. tell anybody why I'm here. If I die on your operating table... yeah. You just ha- you can't say what I was in here for. I think that is excellent advice for anybody that is going to go through this procedure. Because that's just embarrassing. I have, I have actually, I have a second theory. He didn't care who knew. Maybe he didn't care. Maybe he was not ashamed to have this surgery. I have another question. Okay. He's probably, he probably wasn't happy with the size of it for his whole life. He started amassing his fortune in his 20s. Mm-hmm. Why not go through the operation sooner when you're younger, when you've got more time to, you know. Well, oh. in a generic sense, I think if you are a bil- if you are a reasonably attractive and, and he was a billionaire diamond trader, mm-hmm. I don't think that you need to worry about down there generically in terms of attracting women. Do you think a woman it, finally said something to him? I think there might have been. He met a woman. Mm-hmm. And there was a reason that he wanted to be larger for that woman, perhaps. Interesting. Huh. Anyway, I just think it's unfortunate that we're pouring over details of his private life. It is super, super sad. Yeah, on the heels of his That people, like, get on a radio station with 50,000 watts Mm -hmm. and broadcast this guy's uh, personal business like that. But it's not our fault. It's it's his fault for not hiring those lawyers. I agree. If you're a billionaire, it ought to be somewhat easy to get that surgery without anybody knowing if you don't want them to know. It it should be accomplishable. Wayne, I'll tell you what I'll do for you. If you go out like this, I will not get on this show and talk about it. Okay? (laughs) 
We'll make that agreement. Well, thank you very much. And same exact same agreement for you from me. <laughs> one of my uh, one of my friends' moms just texted me. Long drive to Northern California. <laughs> Next topic. Oh. <laughs> Well, lucky for her, it is time. All right. Yeah, we will uh, dive into all things Washington when we come back. Joe Biden is said to have... uh... Wait, I'm confused. Is that not what's happening next? Yeah, we're going to get to that next. Oh, 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 also, oh, oh. I'm Joe sorry. Biden... You're, you're, you're teasing even ahead of what's happening when we come back? I am. Okay. It's crazy. I should have just let you do your thing. It's fine. I'm not from around here. Anyway, Joe Biden is said to be ready to launch his bid for 2020 next month, as soon as next month. Gary and Shannon, Wayne Resnick filling in for Hoffman, who is away. He's in a cabin in the woods with some friends. And to clarify, yeah. he is not undergoing this surgery while he's gone, right? I don't know what their plans are. Ooh. Monica Ricks it's has the latest. Remarkable. <laughs> it's crazy, crazy. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM640, Wayne Resnick hanging out with me today, maybe tomorrow, maybe somebody pulls the plug on this, I don't know, probably Monica. Coming up at 1 (laughs) o'clock, we've told you the story about Chris Watts, right? Remember, this is the dad from Colorado who killed his wife and two little girls. The little girls are just spitting images of of him, too, and I don't know how you, you watch that light leave their eyes. It's just, it's heartbreaking. Well, now five hours of recordings have been released, and you hear him describe how he killed his family. Uh, We're going to talk about that coming up at at 1 o'clock, just sheer evil. All right, it is a big day in the world of politics and people surrounding the orbit that is President Trump. Aaron Katursky is covering all of it for us and joins us now. Aaron, uh, Michael Cohen was uh, active this morning in court filing a lawsuit trying to get some money from the Trump organization. Uh, He filed a lawsuit against the Trump organization saying that he is owed um, about $2 million that the Trump organization was supposed to pay him for his legal defense, but never did. And he also made a play to get the Trump organization to pay the fines that he incurred after he pleaded guilty to several federal charges. And he said it was all part of, a, of a, an indemnification agreement, a joint defense agreement that he was part of at the time. And so before he heads off to prison, I think he'd like this, uh, this resolved. Now, does he write up this contract or is that like a conflict of interest and another lawyer would write up the contract between Cohen and the Trump organization? Uh, you know, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, and the indemnification agreement was not attached to the lawsuit, so I didn't get a look at it. But um, I would imagine that his hired attorneys drew it up because um, that's how he was paying them. And for a while, uh, the Trump organization actually paid. And and it was only in June of 2018, you know, two months after the raid on his hotel where he'd been staying, his apartment, his uh, his office, 
that's when the Trump organization, he says, stopped paying his, uh, his legal bills. Aaron, uh, it's Wayne. Hi. Hey, Wayne. Does, that, does that time frame track at all with when it became obvious that he was cooperating with prosecutors? Sure does. Uh, and I think that that's probably, you know, we know that Michael Cohen uh, was at first part of the joint defense agreement and then not. And he started to, um, as he would later put it, come you know clean and tell the truth about his relationship with Donald Trump and uh, very quickly he ended up hiring Guy Petrillo who was a former prosecutor in the Southern District of New York that is the moment where it became clear he was going to uh, fight this and um, and and go out on his own and, and leave whatever joint defense agreement he had we know that before that happened that demarcation point happened uh, Cohen had asked his attorney to reach out to Rudy Giuliani and see if there was any pardon in it for him. And in fact, the conversation went both ways. When when he started to consider leaving the joint defense agreement, well, we know that Giuliani sent a couple of guys to him to say, you sure you want to do this? And so um, it, it seems as if there was a real you know, influence campaign underway. Gosh, how many books are going to be written about this administration so far? You know, in just two years, and you know, you think about all the, the presidents of the past and how many books have been written about this. The, the, there's just so much. There's well, just so I mean, much to get is, to. And, and there was a, there's a bit of you know, kind of New York real estate underbelliness. Yeah. That followed Donald Trump to the White House. That probably would have you know. It wasn't as if it was a secret. I mean, everybody kind of knew how he operated and how he used the bankruptcy courts. And, you know, the, 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 the tabloids here in New York City would run periodic stories about whether, you know, Trump had the money he purported to have. And, and all of this was just kind of in good fun until he became famous on The Apprentice. Um, and, and, and then when he ran for president, a whole different spotlight was was you know shining on on Donald Trump and Michael Cohen and all these like guys and how they did all their their business sure because that, that's okay in the real estate world, the New York real estate world, to operate your business yeah. like that and to have fixers and things like that. But then when you become uh, an elected political official like the president of the United States, there's a different set of rules. It, it for sure, and a different set of scrutiny. And and I think um, Michael Cohen ended up having this sort of moment in the late spring, early summer of 2018, where he was no longer going to hitch his wagon, ended up uh, pleading guilty, cooperating, uh, and, and, you know, now off to off to prison, but but hoping to collect from his former employer. Speaking of prison, Paul Manafort and that sentencing is supposed to happen today. What kind of timetable are we looking at? And uh, is he going to get the book? Excuse me, the it book thrown at him. It should start now-ish um, in, in Virginia, the, uh, where he was found guilty by a jury of, uh, of eight financial crimes. And he faces, all told, about a quarter century in prison. Whether he gets that much uh, seems to be doubtful. And we're also waiting to see whether he'll be able to serve whatever sentence he gets today and what he gets next week in Washington, D.C., concurrently or consecutively. You know, he's 69, and uh, such a, a sentence could amount to a life term, and so his attorneys have asked for leniency. What's interesting to me is the low end of the range that he's looking at is about 19 years. And yeah. and, and the, in, in Mueller's filing, I'm sorry, in the prosecution's filing, they said there's no mitigating factors. And apparently the probation office there also concluded there were no mitigating factors. 
And we know that he violated uh, part of that agreement, right, by lying. So what's interesting to me is for him to get less than 19 years, the judge is going to have to find a reason to give him a break. And it will not be with the help of the prosecutors who do sometimes come in and say, yeah, yeah, give him a break. It's going to have to be some story that his attorney, Manafort's attorneys, are telling the judge that the judge buys. And I think going into this now, the judge is not going to be inclined uh, to, to, to stick the judicial neck out for this guy. Well, I, I, I don't know. The judge has been sympathetic in a way to Manafort in the past, saying that he believed the charges against him were really meant for the special counsel to try to, you know, get information about Donald Trump. And that may be true, but that doesn't mean they aren't crimes and serious crimes. And so, you know, I, I think you take into account that Manafort is a first-time offender. Uh, but nonetheless, as you suggest, he does face some significant prison time. And, uh, you know, we should see in the next few minutes uh, exactly what it is. Aaron Kaczerski, thanks so much. Great stuff as always. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, guys. All right, coming up next, the president had a roundtable with uh, Tim Cook from Apple. Some some funny comments made there. Also, Joe Biden 2020 looks like it's going to happen. We'll get into it next as we continue Swamp Watch. Gary and Shannon, Wayne Resnick in today. Gary and Shannon, Wayne Resnick in today. Hoff will be back on Monday. Coming up in the next hour when we talk strange science, why your bad dreams are good for you. I had a dream I was in a hostage situation last night. Taker or taken? Taken. But I took care of it. I, I, I pity the fool who ever tries to take you hostage. Agree. Um, before we continue with Swamp Watch, producer Nick unearthed a find today. Jason 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 It's just a minute long of Jason Derulo Jason Derulo singing his name. It's highly addictive, is it not? Jason Derulo. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? My name is Jason Derulo. I mean, all right. We continue. And the best part about that last one is there's like a sun behind him and the like beams of light. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I love it. All right. Uh, Tim Cook was with the president today. This was a workforce roundtable led by Ivanka Trump, and the president is welcoming in Tim Cook and listen to what he says. Lakey. Virtual. Isn't it? (laughs) Can you believe he said that? No. How about this? What was he thinking? How about this? How about this? We have so many companies coming in. People like Tim, you're expanding all over and doing things that I really wanted you to do right from the beginning. I used to say, Tim, you got to start doing it over here, and you really have. I mean, you've really uh, put a big investment in our country. We appreciate it very much, Tim Apple. Uh, but Did you catch it? Tim, Tim Apple? Tim Apple. We appreciate it very much, Tim Apple. Uh, <laughs> but we're opening it up. We have. 
Like at first we thought it was, you know, thank you very much, Tim. Apple has done great things. You know, like Tim, comma, Apple has done great things. No, it's it's Tim Apple. We appreciate it very much, Tim Apple. I think that's fantastic. Joe Biden is trending today, big in the news, because it looks like we are nearing his decision for 2020. According to multiple people familiar with his planning, CBS News says he is in the final stages of preparing for a 2020 presidential campaign expected to launch this baby next month. They say a formal kickoff is expected by mid-April. Then he's not in the final stages of deciding. Yeah, that he's decided. Right. Right. I mean, if the other part is true, then he is not still deciding. He is with 12 other formally declared candidates. This is a wide pool. Uh, Biden, of course, polls the best nationally. It goes Biden, Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris. And they see him as the contender best equipped to unite the factions that are squabbling over the identity of what the Democratic Party is going to be moving forward. And he's going to try to young it up this time, it looks like, because he's consulting with people about how to run a campaign on social media. Right. He's been uh, meeting with executives about uh, how to how to do that. But here's the thing. If you're Joe Biden, you're 76 years old. Why don't you just hire somebody to, to do your social media for you? Oh, he probably will. It'll end up if he really why does you know, he commits full time, full bore. It'll that's what it'll come to. He'll have a whole staff to just run the social media aspect of that campaign. They say that he will find support in suburban swing districts, Midwest, Midwestern states, um, but they don't know if he will do well with the minority and younger voters. Apparently, there was a desegregation issue that came up in his past in his home state, and that may come back to haunt him. This is the problem with being an older candidate is you have much more of a history that can be mined for problems. First thing he must do, can we agree? First thing he has to do is make a video of him doing that uh, breakfast club dance. Uh, uh, why that? Why that dance? Oh, it was because AOC and her and her thing of it on the. You know. Oh, I didn't see that. Did she do that? <laughs> Wait, am I? Is this a huge blind spot for me? Right? Well, now? it's it's a little. No, no, Does don't worry about it. It's a little old now. Though? Yes, there, there, somebody found a video of Alexandria Ocasio Cortez doing this uh, the breakfast club dance and released it trying to embarrass her. She was a student in she was a college student. And it was something that a lot of people were doing and they released it to try to embarrass her and it didn't work because it made people like her more. I see. They're trying to make her look less serious or something. I think they were just trying to go like, oh, she's a silly girl, look at her. And people were like, Yeah, that's what people do in college. Yeah, I actually find I'm looking at it now. I actually find the video to make her more likable. I, I think there's video. They're her... gonna find video of Joe Biden when he was in college and it's him dancing around a cotton gin. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. All right, coming up next, you ageist. We're going to go to Colorado where, well, we're not going to go to Colorado. We'll talk to Alex Stone, who's in Los Angeles. But the story's out of Colorado. This is the story of the father who killed his family. Now they're releasing hours of the investigative tapes where he sits down with investigators and tells them what went down. Alex Stone, when we come back to Gary and Shannon. I've been, I've been thinking, I want you to be 
You're talking to me, but I can't hear what you're saying because I have my headphones on, so I hope it wasn't important. Not that everything you... Trust me. Are we both on the air now? Yes. Trust me, you don't want me to repeat it. Okay. <laughs> I would be... If I repeated it, I would be fine. I would emerge unscathed. You don't want it repeated. <laughs> okay. Gary and Shannon, Wade Resnick in today. Coming up next, we will be... Joining Mark Saltzman for Tech Talk, the best phone of the year. You know you want to know what what that one is, as well as retro games that are coming out. Very cool. Strange science at the bottom of the hour. Why bad dreams are good for you. But right now, we are going to hook up with Alex Stone. He is on the story that we have covered from the beginning. This is the father and husband in Colorado who murdered his family, Chris Watts. And you remember this case. Because he was the guy who went on local news channels saying that his family was missing and how much he missed them and how he was leaving all the lights on in the house for them to come home. All the while knowing that the day before he had killed his wife, his pregnant wife, and his two little girls who just happened to be the spitting image of him. Alex joins us now with the latest going on in the case, a bunch of hours of recordings released. Right, Alex? Yeah. Hey, guys. And this is different than the Patrick Frazee case, the other case of a husband or fiancé in Colorado, uh, allegedly in the Frazee case, killing his fiancé. This one only a couple of months before, back in August, uh, Chris Watts and his wife, Shanann. And so he now has sat down with agents from the the Colorado Bureau of Investigation, many hours of recordings. They made them last month, and they released them today. He's in prison in Wisconsin serving multiple life sentences, but he laid out his crime. And these recordings are heartbreaking. When you listen to them talking about killing his family, they've got a lot of background noise on them, so stick with me here, just uh, some short clips. But he describes in his own words killing his pregnant wife, Shanann, and their three- and four-year-old daughter. There was a motion to it at first, and it just felt like it was just anger. It was just like, you know, like, like there was no love there. Like there was no love there. As he was going through the killings, a lot of emotion at first. He says Shanann came home from a work trip. She woke him up. They had sex. Then a little while later, he was down making his uh, lunch for work that he goes to, to work at an oil field early in the morning. He came back up. She asked him if he had been having an affair, which he had been, but he didn't want to admit it at that time. He says that set him off. He became angry. He got on top of her, and he strangled her. I climbed in bed. That was pretty much like trialing her. Her body lifeless on their bed. Their four-year-old daughter then walks in. The commotion woke up their, their four-year-old daughter, Bella. Her, uh, their daughter, Bella, asked what was wrong with Mommy. He said she was sick. He loaded Shanann's body into the floor of his truck. She was laying on the, the floor of the pickup. Uh, he brought the kids with him. Oh, my God. He drove them to this oil field where he ended up dumping the bodies, and the kids watched as he dumped their mom's body. What? He got back in the truck and then suffocated the two girls with their own blankets, the, the Snuggies that they had with them. I wanted all my life was to be a dad, just to have, you know, kids, and they loved me, they, you know, all that, and it just nothing, nothing made sense. He says during all of this that Cece, the, the younger girl, the three-year-old, did not put up a fight, uh, and then Bella, the, the four-year-old, asked if that what was happening to Cece was what happened to Mommy. He says he didn't answer. Then he, she asked, is, is that going to happen to her? He didn't answer as well. 
Then he went and killed Bella. Like every time I close my eyes, I start to hear her say, Daddy, no, and that was it. Oh the last God. thing she said, and that's what he says he thinks about now every time he closes his eyes, was, <laughs> is, Daddy, no. And uh, then she stopped moving. He, he dumped their bodies in oil tanks. He says he misses them every day. He has a picture of them in his prison cell where he talks to them as if they're alive. He reads his daughter her favorite bedtime story every night, even though he's reading it to a picture of the, the family who he killed. And he says he snapped, that he feels like somebody else took over his body and that he couldn't stop what was happening as he was killing his family. Alex, it's Wayne. How are you? Hey, Wayne. Uh, did he talk about whether this, you know, somebody took over his body idea continued when he went out and pled for the return of his family and fooled everybody into acting like he didn't know what had happened to them and he was the victim? Yeah, over these five hours, he talks about the days after it, and he says he was just so freaked out that he couldn't believe that he had done this and that he tried to cover it up. He had thought about burning their bodies when he was up at the oil field, creating an explosion. Remember, he worked at this oil field. He knew it well. That's what linked him to it because the, the bodies, and, and he told investigators where the bodies were, but he was one of the few that had access to this oil field during off hours. He said he decided not to do that. That didn't make any sense. The investigators said, did you ever think about killing yourself, that you were the father of the household, that you would go with the family? He said no, that that, that really wasn't something that, that he ever planned. But he said he was trying to figure out what to do. And during that time, he made those claims that, that they had gone missing. He thought maybe he could get away with it. And then it, it became pretty clear to him. And just from the emotion, he said during all of this, he was shaking, he was nervous, he wanted to throw up. And he knew he, he couldn't yeah, keep it up much longer. Did he did they ask him? And, and this may sound like a like a really irrelevant question, but it's not to me in trying to understand the psychology of this guy. Did he ever talk about whether he was, in fact, having an affair? Yeah, he was. And he was having a pretty intimate and long term affair with uh, this woman. And he talked about he had been buying her things on their credit cards. And he almost thought when he was buying gifts for this woman to tell her to pay for it on her own because Shanann could see the credit cards and the, the billing, and that, that he knew he was caught, that, uh, that he was having an affair, he didn't want to admit it. The investigators actually kick off these five hours of, of uh, questions talking about claims by a guy, I believe he's in Wyoming, but a guy who claims that he was having an affair with Chris Watts and that they had met on Snapchat or some other app. He claims that's complete bull, that, that he's never had a homosexual relationship, that he doesn't know who this guy is, that this guy reached out to him, and that that's not true. But he says, yes, he was having an affair with another woman, and he didn't really love Shanann any longer. He actually felt like, in a way, when he had sex with Shanann before he killed her, that he was cheating on this other woman. He says it was the sex was weird because he, he felt like that he loved the other woman, and now he was cheating on the other woman by, by having sex with his wife. Good Lord. This doesn't sound like a snap. This sounds like a guy, oops, I am caught. Yeah. I obviously would have to choose. It's I like, choose the other woman. It's like Scott I have Peterson. to get rid of this woman, yeah. and I might as well get rid of the yeah. kids as well. Yep. And hopefully I will get away with nobody figuring out that I'm the one who did it. And I can go down in history as the poor guy whose family disappeared. Right. And eventually yeah. go public with my relationship with this it's, other it's woman. It's eerily similar to me as Scott to Scott Peterson. Yeah, well, and, yeah. and through all of the, the planning, he talks about that he wasn't in love with her any longer and that he wanted to try to figure out how to get out of it. He claims, at least to these investigators, that 
the, the actual killings was a snap when she questioned in the middle of the night uh, after they had just had sex, after she had been gone on this business trip, if she was having an affair. And that that made him so angry that he had never planned on, he claims, killing her, and he wanted to get out of it in other ways, but especially killing the little girls, and that he didn't know what to do, that they had seen the murder of their mother unfold, at least Bella had, and then saw him dumping the, the body, and then he says his body, he didn't have any control of it, and then he took their Snuggies and killed the girls. They had stuffed animals with them, a stuffed dog one of the, the girls had, and they had their little blankets that they carried with them everywhere, and he grabbed those blankets and then killed them. Alex Stone, I'm sorry you have to talk about this story all day. Yeah, it's uh, when you listen to this audio, it is just heartbreaking. Yeah. When you think, I mean, especially that Bella's last words were, Daddy, no. Oh and then God, he finished it out and she stopped moving. Just I mean, it's, me it's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Alex, all right, thank you. Appreciate it. You got it. Thanks, guys. Coming up next, Tech Talk, the best phone of 2019, and retro games. Which new retro games are coming out? New retro games. See what I did there? A little oxymoron. <laughs> Oh, Shannon. Emphasis on moron. Mark Saltzman joins us when we return. Also, strange science still coming up. Wayne loves strange science. (laughs) Gary and Shannon. uh, Gary's in a cabin with his friends, so Wayne's joining us. It sounds so weird to say that, doesn't it? Gary and Shannon. Wayne Resnick in today. Hey, coming up at the bottom of the hour, when we talk strange science, we're going to talk about how bad dreams are good for you. A couple things happened yesterday. Dr. Wendy was in our office in the morning talking about dreams and what they mean, and that's a topic that she's tackling. And then we interviewed a woman that was able to escape a serial killer, and we talked to her for an hour. And I think those two things combined gave Blake and I both night terrors last night. I think uh, we had a lot going on in our heads, and... Holy hell, my dreams were insane, but they're good for you, apparently. Bad dreams are good for you, so we'll get to that. It is Thursday. It is 1.20, and you know what that means. The machines are getting smarter. This is Tech Talk, brought to you by Skynet. Mark Saltzman joins us, tech columnist for USA Today, an overall tech guru celebrated in Canada and the United States as well, and really globally. In that order, yeah. <laughs> for, big in Japan, yeah. Hi, Wayne. Hi, Shannon. How you, how you guys doing? Hi. Doing how, how, well. are, how are your Yelp reviews galactically, though? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you guys having fun? You guys sound like it. I know you're, you know, while, uh, while Gary's away, the, the mice will play. That's Is right. That That's exactly mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. We don't know if somebody's going to pull the plug on this, Mark. <laughs> this makes for great radio. I love it. Well, why don't you smart us up with uh, our tech talk here? <laughs> Tell us about the new Galaxy. Sure. So it's actually a family of products that are available now from Samsung. You probably heard about it, the Galaxy S10 family. So there's actually four to choose from because why not confuse everybody? So there's the the main Galaxy S10, which is uh, a, a great all-around phone. It's uh, just over six inches, about 900 bucks. Then there's the Galaxy S10 Plus, which has a few more bells and whistles, an extra camera, and that's about $100 more. For those on a tighter budget, there's the S10e, a slightly smaller device with a little bit less horsepower at 750. 
And then there is a 5G version if you're a T-Mobile customer. So leveraging these upcoming sort of faster uh, wireless speeds that you may want. So there's a lot to choose from, but the bottom line is that they're really well received uh, critically. And I think there's, um, you know, I've had my hands on them for uh, a few weeks now, the, the 10 plus, especially the S 10 plus, and it's a, it's a heck of a phone. It's got a beautiful screen, as I mentioned, with no notch. So I know all the Apple leaders out there, they make fun of that little notch at the top of the iPhone. This has just like a little cutout for the front facing cameras. Um, it's got five cameras, in fact, two, uh, two on the front if you've got the S10 Plus or just one for the other ones, and then three on the back for all kinds of depth sensing and you know wide angle and zoom and all that. It's got an in-finger in display, uh, in-screen finger display, I should say. So what that means is you um, don't have a special place to put your thumb. You just put it on the screen. And under the, under the glass, it will recognize that it's you. And then finally, wireless charging, reverse wireless charging. So you can drop down another phone on top of this thing, and it'll charge it up for your buddy who maybe is, uh, is who needs a boost on their device. So all around great devices that probably the best Samsung has ever come out with. Um, and again, really awesome cameras for sure. Is it good enough uh, to leave the Apple ecosphere? It's a great question, and it's kind of apples and oranges you know it's it's if you're used to apple and you love the the ios operating system they're they're easy really easy to use those phones apple iphones are really easy to use and a really great app store um Android, which is the operating system that drives the Samsung devices and all the other ones, um, they have some other benefits. There's more customization. You can do more if you're a little bit geekier like uh, yours truly. You can uh, really change the way the entire phone looks and operates. Um, you're not told, like, here's your mail and here's your calendar. It's up for up to you to choose what you want. And that's not for everyone. Um, I also like with Android, you can do split screen really easily. So you can, you know, snap like a web browser uh, open on top of the Samsung phone. And on the bottom, you've got a video playing. You can't do that on iPhone. Um, so there, there's benefits. You know, I'm an Android guy. I'll be honest with you. Um, but uh, it's not it's not for everyone. You know, it, it, I would say that out of all the Android phones, the Samsung ones are the easiest to use. Um, but uh, yeah, it's I, I think it really will give Apple a run for their money this year. But if you're a, if you're a diehard uh, Apple, you know you're part of the i sheep, if you will. Then, then you're not you're not moving. You you're know not moving. I. Uh, you know how <laughs> you know what they say about your brain. I don't don't think it's true, but they say you only use ten percent of it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I felt that way when I had an Android. I felt like I was only doing like three percent of what the Android could do. You know, I felt like it was. There were so many things I wasn't taking advantage of right, that right. I went back to the to being an Apple sheep. Well, let me let me ask you something about since you want to now throw down, I guess, a little bit. Um, <laughs> it, is the S10 line in better shape to get updates to Android right away compared to other models of phones? Because the the yeah. the, the one downside of Android is you buy an Android phone and then you may not get updates. To that operating system? Great question. So it is often tied to your carrier. Unfortunately, they're the gatekeepers. And uh, that is one of the issues with Android. But uh, Samsung claims that you're going to get, you know, with this new platform, this new OS, uh, new refresh of the Android, you're going to get updates more regularly and uh, you're going to want them and they're going to be pushed out automatically, which is something that, uh, yeah, that they do need work in. You know, it's funny because my wife and I both have a Samsung device, but different ones. And we're on the same carrier, but she got this new update, this software update that I don't have yet. And she's had it for like five days. It's weird. Like even if you're, we're on the same, 
you know, we're this, with the same manufacturer on the same carrier. We don't get the same updates. So there, there does need to be a little bit more streamlining there. I'll, I'll hand you that. And all right. Mark- I call it truce. Yeah, there you go, Wayne. There, what uh, all? And then finally, Mark, uh, looks like our access to retro video games is expanding, mm-hmm. and uh, nothing says nostalgia like playing one of the games you played as a kid. I know, right? Like Pac-Man. I liked how you were saying earlier, new retro games. Yeah, that's an oxymoron, right? <laughs> <laughs> like Jumbo Shrimp. Exactly. That's an oxymoron, right? Deafening Silence. And Ooh, new you're retro. Good at this. Oh, there you go. Okay, I'll stop there. But yeah, it is true. There are new ways to uh, get your nostalgic gaming fix, and I wrote about this for USA Today. T- today, <laughs> please allow myself to introduce myself. Uh, so, if you're uh, on a smartphone, whether it be iPhone or Android, there are free apps, of course, or close to it. You know, a buck or two, where you can play all those favorite games of yesteryear. So you could just hit your favorite app store or Google Play, and you can download those. If you're on a TV, you can buy one of these inexpensive, like $59 consoles that are the classic edition. So the Nintendo NES one with like 30 games built in, like Super Mario Brothers and so on. Uh, and then there's the PlayStation Classic with 20 built-in games for 59 bucks and that's for more of the 90s uh, games for that playstation if you're on a t uh, also on tvs there's a product called at games blast so the blast family they're as low as 19 dollars, and the games are in the controller itself um, and there's ones for atari ones for activision and then there's a little wireless dongle that you plug into your tv and then that game pad that has all those games built in wirelessly talks to that little dongle And then if you are uh, really retro and you want to have a a, a stand-up arcade in your home, but you don't want to pay through the nose for a real one from like a collector, you can uh, buy what's called the Arcade 1-Up machines. These are three-quarter sized replicas of the coin-operated games you remember from your childhood, but no quarters needed after you buy this thing. Uh, It's a Walmart exclusive. They're between $2.29 and $2.99, and that includes games like um, Galaga and a few others. Like there's usually three or four games in each uh, machine. Centipede, uh, there's a Pac-Man one, and then coming up in 2019, there's going to be Golden Tee for those golf fans, and Mortal Kombat, and a few others. So those are really fun. I have a couple of those in in, uh, my basement. Now, if I want to really go for it, can I get a full-size arcade-style machine, but inside of it is an emulator that would allow me to load in and play Tons and tons of these retro games? You can, but you do pay a lot for them. So there is one company that I wrote about in the article called Dream Arcades, and uh, they do ship with uh, 200 licensed games like Pole Position and Dragon's Lair, but prices start at about two grand with tax, and that's for a full-size machine with all the controls that you want, so a trackball, buttons, joysticks, and all that, and then about $2,100 and up for the sit-down or cocktail table option. So you, you can, and then, then you can add more games or what we call ROMs after the fact. You find Space Invaders on the internet. If you have the license for it, you can download it and, and play it on your own. Mark Saltzman, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it thank as you. always. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks, Shannon. Have a good one. You too. All right, coming up next, Strange Science. We've got asteroid news. We've got an all-female spacewalk to tell you about and bad dreams. They're good for you. I think he liked me a little more than you. Well, who doesn't? I got my mind made up and I can't let go. I'm killing every second till it saves my soul. Ooh, I've been running, ooh, I've been running to love and down, to love and down. And we'll start fighting and we'll shut it down to love and down, to love and down. There's a man. 
Gary and Shannon. Wayne Resnick hanging out with me today. Thank you very much, sir. Oh, thank you. Former Trump campaign chief Paul Manafort is inside a federal courtroom in Virginia for his sentencing hearing as we speak. Of course, Manafort convicted of tax evasion, bank fraud, and failing to report foreign lobbying. The charges all stem from Bob Mueller's Russia investigation. He pleaded guilty to similar charges in a case in D.C. He'll be sentenced in that case uh, next week. He turns 70 next month. And he's looking at more than a decade in prison after both sentences are imposed, facing up to 60 years in prison. Well, at this time, we try to get together science stories that are interesting and kind of off offbeat and strange. Call it strange science. Strange science. It's alive. It's like weird science, but... Strange. It's Blake's favorite segment of the week. Yep. Always. Huh? Yes. Yeah. So yesterday, Dr. Wendy's in the office in the morning, and she's talking about how she's going to be analyzing people's dreams and asking us if we've had any weird dreams or anything like that. I said no. And then cue all the weird dreams last night. She planted the suggestion. We spent an hour on this show speaking to a woman who was able to escape a serial killer, and that was pretty heavy. Her life was pretty heavy. And I think that was in our minds as we went home and and, and laid our, our heads on our pillows. And holy hell, I was in a hostage crisis in my dream last night. And I literally had a guy chasing me with a machete. Okay, see? Yeah. Yeah, I had a guy that uh, whipped out a gun in an office that I was in. And I was able to wrestle the gun away from him. Yeah, I took... But then couldn't figure out how to use it. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> and I woke up and I said, I got to take a gun class because I learned in my dream... Because it was prophetic. I don't know how to use a gun. Yeah. And that is, the, that is why scientists say bad dreams are good. Because you put yourself in these fear situations, these terrifying situations, and then you learn how you get out of them. What about mine where I used the machete against him, chopped him in the head, took part of his brain, gave it back to him, and he continued to live? How do we... Uh... Well, you're, wow. just, you're just a sick individual. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Paging Dr. Wendy for real. It's time to put your ass on the couch. <laughs> See what's going on in there. Now, that idea, of course, presumes that there's, a real, that there's almost a higher intelligence to how your own brain constructs your dreams, right? Not on this side of the class, apparently. Well, the idea that you put yourself in situations and then learn how to get out of them in your dreams and you can take that information into your waking life. That's what you're saying, right, Shannon? Yes. So then there'd have to be this real, like, efficiently organized system in your brain every night where somehow your own mind sits down and has a meeting with itself and says, what are we going to have Shannon dream about tonight? What happened during the day? And we could help her in her dreams cope with whatever happened. I believe brains work like that. I there's, really do. I, th- I think there's a whole uh, machination that goes on that you're not even aware of. This you know, there's subconscious a, computing. There's several theories, but there's another theory that is couldn't be more opposite from what you're saying, and that is, it's dreams are just the random firing of neurons in your brain during your REM cycle. No, there's a reason for each and every dream. Damn it. I'm not arguing. I'm saying there there are different ways of looking at it. Uh, the majority of our dreams occur during that uh, REM sleep cycle. 
the average person has four or five dreams a night. 8% of dreams are about sex. That's a rate that holds true for both men and women, though listen to this. Women are twice as likely as men to have sexual dreams about a public figure. Mm-hmm. Oh. While men are twice as likely to dream about multiple partners. That seems right. Uh, anxiety, also a frequent flyer there. A study of Canadian university students found the most common dream types, apart from sex, to be school, falling, being chased, arriving too late for something. I think that we all have that dream of where we're not ready for something. You know, I used to have it in when I did Monica's job of John and Ken come to me for the news and all of a sudden I don't have the newscast. And I had that dream regularly. And then it happened to me. They come to me for the news <sighs> one day and the computer had shut off. And I said, guys, I don't have any news. <laughs> but that's a premonition. And you know then. what? I never had the dream again after it really happened. Wow. Weird, right? That is interesting. Well, I've had that dream, and I don't want that to happen to me, so I'd rather have the dream. Well, you know what I started doing is printing out my newscasts, and so you'd have like a physical copy Mm -hmm. to avoid that that anxiety. But anyway, um, I think the other thing that we dream about all the time the same is uh, you, you think you didn't graduate college. Like there's one class that you maybe didn't show up for the final or something, and you go and you wake up and you go, wait, did I get that diploma? Yep. Did I graduate? And that happens to me with high school. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the other common dream are the, the um, empty rooms in your house or like a secret room in your house or a secret level in your house. And when you dream that, they say it's like you're learning to flex a new muscle or maybe you've huh. taken up a new hobby in your life. So I have the dream where somebody breaks into my apartment while I'm sleeping and I'm half awake so I can see that dark figure coming towards me and i know they're gonna hurt me but i'm paralyzed that's terrible i can't move yeah it's terrifying and i always wake up like shaking but yeah so if anyone wants to tell me what that dream means we'll we'll look into it i think dream interpretation is a lot about you not somebody telling you this is what your dream means i think it's about them helping you explore your own life and mind to kind of decide what you think it means. Blake, I have a follow-up question to your machete dream. Yep. When you gave the guy part of his brain back and it kept him alive, yep. was he thankful? <laughs> no, then I was like, ah, crap, again. Because he, he he had stopped. I took the machete. I chopped him in the head, got part of his brain. I removed it from the ice pack that I have in my lunchbox here behind me. Oh my God. I gave it back to him. He oh put God. the piece of his brain back in his head, and he was just like, all right, back to business. I'm going to chase you again. And I was like, ah, crap. Were you watching any zombie movies? Yeah, The Walking Dead, maybe? Yesterday. I watched The Walking Dead a couple days ago, uh-huh. but not last night. Yeah, there you, there you go. That's it. It's lingering in your brain. Yes, it is. I think, the, yeah. I don't know. Okay, well, we all learned in the early 90s or mid-90s how to destroy an asteroid, right? You hire Bruce Willis and a bunch of criminals, and <laughs> you're in the money. Apparently, scientists say it's a really bad idea, and the reason why they're looking into this, guys, is because there are a number of potentially hazardous objects out there that are getting closer to Earth. We'll talk about it when we come back. Gary and Shannon, Wayne Resnick here, and Monica's got the latest.
Gary and Shannon. Wayne Resnick hanging out with me today and tomorrow. I haven't gotten a cease and desist letter yet on this partnership, so that's good. Wrapping up our strange science stories. And yes, what would happen if an apocalyptic-sized asteroid was hurtling toward Earth? Would we employ Bruce Willis? No, we would not. Experts in planetary protection, yes, that is a thing, planetary protection expert, say it would be a lot simpler just to push it, just give it a little tap, a little tappy tap into a safer orbit. Now, this is a real consideration. It's a real question that is floating around NASA because NASA is keeping its eye on about 2,000 potentially hazardous objects that come within uh, about four, four and a half million miles of Earth and are large enough to cause some damage. They say research shows it's really uh, difficult, nearly impossible to pulverize pulverize an asteroid the way that that Bruce. Well, you would only need, they say, is it 4,000 of the most powerful nuclear bombs that have ever existed? Yes. That's what you would need to uh, take out a 20 kilometer wide asteroid. So how do you launch 4,000 nuclear bombs at the same object? you got to ask Bruce Willis. He's the only man to have ever done it. I'm fairly certain. And look, I don't, I don't have a degree in astrophysics. Okay? You know? So when I say this, it's from a layman's point of view. I'm pretty certain that was fake. What? Bruce well, Willis. No. Destroying that <laughs> Don't asteroid. be ridiculous. I think it was a fictional I won't movie. invite you back if you're going to talk crazy. Uh, here's what I want to know, though. Okay. Like, and it makes sense. It would be extraordinarily difficult to destroy an asteroid. Why do they think it's achievable to... Move it around, though. Because you know how uh, zero-gravity situation is. You get a little mm-hmm. tap. You know, we all saw uh, Sandra Bullock. In, 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 in also what, in what fake. She, what are you talking about? These things you're all citing right. are fake. Whatever. Well, there is one giant leap for womankind coming up on March 29th in the last minutes of twilight before the sun rises over the United States Two NASA astronauts are going to embark on a history-making excursion outside the space station. Expedition 59 astronauts Anne McLean and Christina Koch are going to lead a roughly seven-hour spacewalk to attend tasks on the orbiting lab's exterior. It's going to start about 6.30 Eastern time. And what makes it? What makes it special? So historical. Will they walk longer than any previous spacewalk? It is the first ever all-female spacewalk. Oh. When they step outside the International Space Station, it'll be just 35 years, just shy, I guess, of 35 years since the first woman walked in space. Of course, Svetlana Savitskaya. Of course. Who doesn't know that? Everyone knows that. All right. Should I know that? Should I have known that? Should I have known the first? I don't know. that. I, I honestly, I mean, it's... It was a great achievement and all that. I don't know that that's a piece of information you need to have at the ready. Got it. John Cobalt joins us. Hi. Hi, John. How about that? Can you hear me? Yeah. Ah, there we go. There you go. (gasps) Must be in there. Oh, you're in a good mood because you have your in and out cup. Uh, Yes. That makes sense. Today's been a happy day. Oh, good. Went through the in and out line. We have um, some uh, uh, spokesman from the... Trump White House coming on right after 2 o'clock. Oh, yeah? Well, because the Senate is going to uh, vote against Trump's border wall emergency 
Right, but then he vetoes, and, and then he's the vote veto. is all for naught. Right. Like, how much is done that doesn't mean anything? Symbolic theatrical Good nonsense. Good Lord. Could you yeah. imagine if that was your job, to just do stuff that didn't matter all day? Yes. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> Get it. I got it. <laughs> all right. I'm living that nightmare. <laughs> John and Ken show coming up next. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. All right. Oh, goodbye. Gary and Shannon.